All right. Good morning. Good morning. Hate to break up the fellowship, but stop talking to each other. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Everyone got their coffee ready to go? Feeling good? Hey, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Jake Mudgerso. I'm the executive director here at Transit Church, and we're going uh, to be walking through Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our study. Uh, if, to recap, last couple weeks, if you've been here in person last two weeks, listening on the podcast, uh, there's no doubt where we've been and what we've been walking through. You're well aware of what we've been walking through as a church. I don't really have to remind you, Pastor Nick has been taking us through uh, spiritual warfare and the biblical basis for deliverance. And uh, it's been a couple, a couple great weeks. Uh, last week as I was setting up for Pastor Nick during the break before the sermon, setting up the stage, the, uh, everything Nick needs, you know, got to make sure everything's right for the boss. And I see my dear brother in Christ, Nick Bumgardner, kind of like come to the front of the stage with fear in his eyes. He says, are you preaching on this topic? And I calmly responded, heck no. <laughs> I am not preaching on deliverance. No way. No way. I'm going to set up the stage, go sit comfortably and sip my coffee as Nick dances and sweats through this one. Uh, but it's been a great couple weeks, and uh, we know that the Apostle Paul has made it abundantly clear in Ephesians that we... The battle that we are in, we don't wrestle uh, against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the unseen, right? Uh, in the heavenly places, he mentions that we are in the midst of a battle. He makes that very clear. And I, I want you guys to know the elders here at Transit are well aware of how the last couple of weeks have I mean, probably stretched a lot of us, maybe, maybe produced a little bit of fear and worry as we've been talking about the, the battle that we're in with the enemy. And that's why I'm so excited to preach this word this morning, because the more I've studied this passage, the more comfort the Lord has given me. Of Our Father hasn't left us unequipped for the battle. What kind of father would that be is, hey, you're in a war, you have nothing to protect yourself, and you have no weapons. Good luck. That's not our Father. We've been given everything we need and more, so we shouldn't walk in fear, but be confident that we are standing with the king and he has fully equipped his soldiers. Amen? That's what we're going to be walking through uh, this morning. And if you're taking notes, the three main points are, number one, the call to stand. Number two, standing in the armor. And number three, the one who stood first. And for our very unique sermon title for the morning, it's going to be the armor of God. We don't have to add any bells and whistles to that. And uh, we're going to do something. Uh, if you can turn Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, specifically is the text we're going to be in. I'll be reading from ESV. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, it goes with the message. And, uh, you know, if you're physically able, I know we have somebody here with a fresh broken leg. If you're physically able, uh, can you all stand as we read the Word of God together? And this is the last bit of exercise I will ask of you today, I promise. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord, our King, stands forever. Amen? You can have a seat. I'll pray. Lord, we come before you in your house. This is the house that you have built. And we thank you that you are our defender. You are our Savior. All of our hope is in you. Praise God, our hope is not in our own selves. It's all in you, Jesus, and what you've done for us on the cross. So we give you all the praise, honor, and glory this morning. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, Lord, that I would be completely forgotten and all eyes would be on you, Jesus, this morning. You are the only one who can save. A well-articulated sermon does nothing apart from you. We need your presence. We need you, Jesus. So would you have your way this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, the call to stand. So as we read, you're well aware, the first two verses, three times, Paul is urging the church to stand. Why is that significant? Why would he tell the church to stand? And I think we have to, uh, one, know, as I've already kind of mentioned, is uh, God wants his soldiers to be faithful, not fearful. He wants them to be standing, not cowering and running from opposition. And also, the Lord actually cares about how you're holding up in the battle. Did you catch that? The Lord actually cares how you are doing. Are you standing? Or are you kind of down in the ground, trudging through life, struggling? He cares. That's the Father's heart. And also, as we look at the text, uh, Bible study, you know, when you're in a small group or just with the Lord, I'm sure all of you know this, but a helpful thing is to look at the setting, the context. What is happening? What's going on around the church of Ephesus to understand why this call to stand is so significant? There's a lot going on, and what we know uh, with uh, this letter is, as we've been walking through this book of Ephesians now since like 2019, uh, we're well aware of, um, that's like the third time I've used that joke, I've I'll probably stop, maybe. Um, We're well aware of the setting and context. But I understand that some of you, this may be your first week, or maybe you joined us like two weeks ago. If you joined us for the first time in the last couple weeks, praise God you're here, we love you. And uh, it's been been an awesome couple weeks as we've wrestled with the text of spiritual warfare. It's been so fruitful uh, as the, the Lord's people are walking through and knowing his word is true, but trying to find answers of what is actually going on here. And there's a whole lot behind the scenes, as Paul mentions. But to understand the text, the church of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church, and we have to understand what's going on in Ephesus. The culture, uh, it's a population of like 300,000 people. It's a port city. Uh, Very good. Like the economy is great. People are making good living. Uh, Sounds great. And as we as a church have dug through the setting and everything going on in Ephesus, we realize Oh no, there's actually some big problems going on outside the church. They're full of pagan worship. They worship the goddess Artemis. Uh, Politics and religion blending together. Uh, I won't go into graphic detail, but everyone just followed their own sinful desires. There was moral depravity everywhere. uh, Perversion everywhere. Okay, that is the setting. So to understand the context of Paul writing this letter, what is going on outside the church? What's happening inside the church? These are questions we can ask to rightly apply God's scripture. And Paul makes it abundantly clear um, that what is happening here is of the enemy. That the people are looking and seeing these threats against the church, 
They're seeing all these things that the culture is trying to really pull the church into to join in their practices. And if they can't pull them in to the sinful current of the culture, they will try to infiltrate it and distort the gospel of grace that they have been given. The enemy does not want to see God's people standing faithfully on his word and the gospel of grace that we have been given. That is what the enemy is doing. So Apostle Paul makes it clear of, hey, you may think that this local government leader or whoever else in the culture is the face of the enemy. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. And, and I mention these things because I, I want us, a couple, a couple things, I want us to know why it's so important for us to stand now. I understand that as Paul is going through this letter, he, he urges us multiple times. And I would easily argue that this letter to the church of Ephesus is very much applicable to us today very much applicable to what we're seeing in the culture. Just go on social media for 10 minutes, you'd have a good idea of what is being applauded, what is being liked. And I, we can look at some examples of this, of what's going on in the culture outside the church. We have people like uh, Nick has mentioned in the last couple of weeks of Aaron Rodgers seeking a spiritual encounter, uh, doing all sorts of weird stuff. I don't even remember the name, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But he's seeking a spiritual experience outside of the one true God. Or it could be in our culture we're seeing people deconstructing their faith, building their life values and beliefs off the foundation of their own feelings and truths, not the word of God. And I'd say Satan's still sowing doubt, just like he did when he did in the garden. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and, and Satan the serpent comes and tempts them. And all he does is say, have God really said you can't eat of this fruit? And I'm telling you, what we're seeing from this letter in the Bible to what we're seeing right now, Satan's doing the same exact thing. Same hook, different bait. And I I won't fill in the blanks, but it's a whole lot of, hath God really said this or this that we're seeing happening around us? And God's people need to stand faithfully on his word. There are times when we read God's word that we're going to come across some text that, oh man, this is kind of tough. This this kind of stretches me a little bit. And when we bump into the word, who changes? Who changes? We do. We're in a time right now where whatever we bump into and we don't like, we discard and change, and we cannot change the word of God. His word stands forever. Amen? As a result, we see church attendance dropping, followers of Christ not standing on the word of God, abandoning truth for their own truth. According to a 2022 study, people identifying, just identifying as Christian, have decreased from, which this number was high, I thought, 90% of the U.S. population in 1972 to 64% in 2020. And we know since 2020, Lord knows, that number's dropped even more. That number's dropped even more. And I I share this to say the call to stand applies to us today. The call to stand on the gospel, the word of God, as the truth is very much applicable for us today. And the enemy's turning up the heat against the church. It's turning up the heat against the church. And what we think is going on, uh, there's a lot behind the scenes of deception and trying to pull us away from God. But praise God our Father, as I've already said, he's equipped us with everything we need. And we're going to look at that today. He's given us everything we need. He hasn't left us empty-handed. And he hasn't moved his presence from us. He is with us. All right, so we're going to look at that this morning, 
And we're going to move to point number two. You can change point number one to like Jake's rant. Um, and uh, point number two is uh, standing in the armor. January 6, 2021. Anyone remember that at the Capitol? Who? Well, I was there uh, working, working. <laughs> Let me make that abundantly clear. Go from a pastoral intern to executive director back to intern with that comment. Uh, actually, probably fired. That would be the right move. Uh, I was working. I was in law enforcement. I was a police officer in Washington, D.C., and uh, I was there for that day. And it, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months before January 6th, I went up to my sergeant. I was in, they call them uh, civil disturbance units, CDUs, so just for protests, you kind of just stand out of line and get stuff thrown at you. So I was already on one of those, but I asked the sergeant, hey, can I... Can I join the hardened platoon? Can I get like the big gear, the guys who look super, super goofy, like Michelin men, like walking around? Um, and a couple of my buddies from, from my unit were in that, and I was like, ah, that'd be a fun time. Well, my sergeant said, yeah, no problem. I got you on the roster, but uh, just heads up, we may not be able to get you the gear for a while, uh, just so you know. And I'm like, ah, that's fine. Yeah, no problem. No worries. Uh, then January 6th rolls around. And I will tell you this, the vulnerability I felt standing on a full line. We were on the west lawn pushing off. Whole platoon of officers, all geared up, armor on. And your boy standing there, no armor. <laughs> now, I couldn't show this, but in my mind, I am thinking through, all right, if I am the opposition, I'm going to break through a line or just try to hurt somebody. It's a no-brainer. I'm going to go after the little guy. What is he thinking? Everyone's wearing this armor, and he's standing there wearing nothing. Nothing. I had some armor. I had a helmet on, so that's great. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. And, and I share that not say, like, oh, some war story of I'm some hero. It was totally fine. We were completely fine. Nothing too crazy happened on the West Lawn. We were okay at that time. But uh, I share that because how often do we do that as believers? We've been given armor, and we say, no, no, I, I mean, I, Sarge hit, you know, said, like, hey, Mud, you aren't going to get the gear for a while, and I hit him with a, you know, MC hammer. You, you can't touch this. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. Nothing will happen to me. And how often we walk through this battle that we have been placed into, uh, not armor. We have been given armor, but we just walk through, hey, I'm good, or I'll put it on once, you know, stuff starts getting thrown my way. I can tell you it's too late at that point experiencing that. You don't want to ha have to put the gear on in the midst of the fight. You want to go around geared up ready at all times. Ready at all times. And before we dive into each piece of armor, and there's six pieces of armor in the text, so literally we could have a, for each piece of armor, a sermon in itself. But we are not doing that today. And you can be thankful because we'd be here till like two. Um, and we got to watch the commanders beat the Eagles. So, um, amen. Uh, <laughs> going to be a real tough challenge for you today. Um, but <laughs> I missed what you said. A bit. Um, but we're just going to kind of fly over each, each piece, okay? We're, the Lord is going to lead us through his word this morning. And what Paul is doing in the text is he is using the Roman soldier's armor. Why? Because the people at the time would be well aware of what the armor was. They were familiar with it. They saw it every day. It's harder for us. We think, no, that's not what he's doing. 
because it doesn't make sense to us. No, this letter was written for them at this time, and that's what he was using. So we use that as, okay, the people would be familiar with it. Well, let's look. First, uh, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, the first thing given to us to put on is truth, fastened around you. It's also important to know that the, the belt that we're given holds the sword. We'll get to that a little later. But why do we need truth fastened to us? Or, or at first, we start with, where do we get truth? Where do we get truth? The Bible. Amen? By myself? Amen. Bible. That is our authority. The Bible is our foundation. Everything we have goes back to the Bible, not our own truths, our own feelings. Okay? I know that's countercultural. But the perfect word of God, his word is truth. Look at Psalm 18. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? His way and word is perfect. His way and word is perfect. And uh, as now we get to the question of, well, why do we need truth fastened to us? And we're going to see in a minute, of course, how the enemy works and it's through lies. Uh, we need truth because we need to know what is genuine, what is real. If we can't detect what is true, we can't detect what the lie is. We have to have truth fastened to us because if you can't tell what the threat is to you in the midst of a battle, that is recipe for a quick defeat. If you can't tell what is true in the midst of a battle, that is recipe. If you can't tell what the threat is, I mean, that's, that's just basic stuff. I don't have military experience, but I, I can say that confidently. I have some military guys shaking their head. Yes, you're right. Okay, good. And we see in John 8, Jesus tells Satan, uh, tells us that Satan, our, our enemy, is the father of lies. So our greatest helper is truth, knowing the truth. And it's important for us every day, not legalistically, just check off our reading plan that I fall into so many times, but getting in the Word every day. The Word of God is supposed to dwell richly within us. That's Scripture. So we go to the Word, fasten this truth on to us at the very start of our day. Moving on to um, the end of verse 14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, in simple terms, is being right with God, our position with God. And there's some uh, thoughts on this. Uh, if you read through some commentaries and theologians of, is this our own righteousness, our own actions and walk, or is this imputed righteousness, meaning Christ's righteousness given to us? It's nothing earned. And I would stand on uh, its imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that we have been given, that is our protection. But... As we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we know biblically when we sin, we open the door to the enemy. We go and unlock the door and say, hey, come on in if you want. We're going to walk through this and disobey God, run from God. We know that our actions do have consequences. There are consequences to our sin. So they, they work together, but ultimately our true protection lies in the hands of Jesus Christ. We can look at what Paul says in Philippians 3. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So when you give your life to Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus and his righteousness, you're given a new heart, a soft heart. In the breastplate, you see it, it, it protects your vital organs. It protects that heart, that gift that you've been given through Jesus Christ, and a gift of, of righteousness that cannot be lost, 
but the enemy wants to harden your hearts again. The enemy wants to tarnish what the Lord has done in your life. The breastplate of righteousness is critical that we walk in that because the enemy is active trying to harden our hearts. Moving on to the shoes given to us in verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. So solid footing. Back then, as this letter was being written, the Roman soldiers didn't have Humvees and helicopters. I know that's hard to believe for some of us. They had to walk really far distances. They needed solid footing. And the soles on, on the bottom of their shoes actually had spikes that helped them stand their ground to stand firm in battle. It offered them a solid, firm foundation in the midst of, of a battle. And what does that sound like? The gospel. We have been given a firm foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a readiness, it's a peace given, you see it in the text, by who? By the gospel of peace. By the gospel of peace. The gospel, Jesus Christ, has given us peace in all circumstances, all terrains, good or bad. We know that we have hope for all of eternity. We have eternal peace of Jesus Christ. That is our hope, and that is what we've been given through the gospel. It helps us stay grounded. Jesus says this in John 16 about peace. I have said these things, that, uh, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is accurate, my goodness. This is something we can't just conjure up and create. This isn't a breathing technique to find peace in a chaotic situation. Those things can work for a short time, sure, if you, you know how to do that. But lasting eternal peace only comes from Jesus Christ. Only comes from Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has overcome the world. And then we look at the shield of faith. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield Paul talks of is not like your Captain America little like saucer thing that he has. It's actually like a big four foot by two foot uh, shield that they had designed to pr protect the whole body of the soldier and also designed to extinguish the fiery arrows from the enemy. There was a big purpose of this shield that was mentioned. And, and why is the shield so important to us? We see it's the shield of faith. What is Paul getting at with this? And we see that if we don't have faith, we don't have a shield. If we don't have a shield, we're exposed. So there's, there's a problem that arises when we doubt God, we have ungodly beliefs, we lose our faith in God, we are exposed. We are exposed. We are believing a lie, and we know the enemy throws up arrows of lies and doubts into our heads that we believe and come into agreement with, and that's a sermon for a different time, but we need to know what is true biblically and walk in that. And then we look at why a flaming arrow. What is, what is Paul getting at with that? What is that? When you think of that, my goodness, it, it's a two-pronged attack. Of You don't want to just pierce yourself, but what the enemy is trying to do, even if he doesn't hit you, he wants to set fire to everything around you. He wants to set your house on fire and destroy. That is the, the move of the enemy. So it's critically important that uh, we know that fire spreads very rapidly. So we can't just not be pierced by the lie, the, the attack from what the enemy is trying to do. We actually have to make an effort to extinguish that. We can't let that lie camp out on our shields. We can't let that lie kind of camp out in our home or maybe our church, small groups. We have to counter those immediately with the truth of uh, God's word. 
And doing this, uh, just application-wise, this quiet times, time with the Lord, just pray. Ask the, ask the Lord to reveal any areas in, in your life that you may be believing a lie, something of him that's not true, maybe doubts that you have that um, are causing anxiety and fear and, and lacking trust in the one true God. And, and he'll show you. He'll show you. I believe he will. But we can go to the Father and ask anyways that we are doubting him and repent and turn and take up our shield, I believe is what Paul would say. Moving on to the helmet of salvation, verse 17. Take up the helmet of salvation. Well, why do we need a helmet? I I love how every bit of this armor really builds off of itself with the foundation being the truth of God. Uh, Paul is doing something strategic here in what he is walking uh, the people through in this text. And we know that how the enemy operates already. We've said that clearly. The main battleground is in our minds, what we believe, what we're allowing to camp out, that the enemy is throwing lies our way to put on the helmet of salvation, and the enemy starts to throw a little doubt. You sure you're saved? Starts to question that your position before God. You sure you're right before God? You sure you're saved? I've seen this time and time again of people who have given their life to Jesus and then look at their own actions and how they've fallen short and doubt his actions and doubt his word of what he says to be true. The enemy is crafty and trying to have those lies camp out in our minds. And where do we go for truth? The word of God. Look at Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We can walk confidently that that is his word, not our own word. Thank God we don't have to look to ourselves, our own actions for our eternal life. We can put our, all of our hope and trust in Jesus and what he has done for us. And that stands forever. That stands forever. I love what Sam Storm says this, uh, about this in his book, Understanding Spiritual Warfare. We have a, a copy of this book in the lobby. I really encourage you uh, to pick up a copy and read it. It's very, very good. Uh, but he says this. Our salvation, our standing with God, does not fluctuate or diminish with our success or failure in spiritual battles. But Satan is determined to convince us that it does. We also read 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 9, that our helmet is the hope of our salvation. In other words, this assurance of salvation is not simply a confidence now that I'm saved now, but also a confidence now that I will be saved later. It's beautiful. And, And... as we walk through this text or have those doubts, I, I think something I try to do personally often is meditate on what the Lord has done, his salvation, resting in his goodness. Some of you know my testimony, and I won't go into too much detail, but I tried everything in this world to bring me joy and peace, and it led me to depression and anxiety. Everything. To Google search, how can I make myself happy? I did it, I executed it perfectly didn't make me happy. I was so lost, so lost. And we ha- it's so easy to reflect for me of, Lord, where would I be apart from you moving in my life? In the, the now, currently where I'm at, it's all by the grace of God, and then eternally, what happens when we die? We all have to answer that question. What happens when we die? We can meditate on the salvation we have been given, knowing, knowing 
that his word is true and stands forever, that where would we be for all of eternity apart from Jesus Christ? The hope that we have been given, the helmet of salvation we have been handed, we must put that on and not waver and not waver. Moving on to the last piece in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The final piece of equipment given is uh, defensive, uh, but also to be used on offense, and we'll get into that at the end of this point. I'm excited too, but where are my fellow Lord of the Rings nerds at? Anyone? Man, heavy over here. All right, I'm going to talk to you guys. Uh, So as I study the text, a lot of uh, well-respected scholars mention that the sword the Roman soldiers used was not really like Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, like real big, you know, and heavy. It was more like Frodo's. That's just what they say. Um, you know, it's up for debate. But it, it was swift, quick to use, ready to use. And we see an example uh, of this in Jesus. I'll get that in a second. But we have to actually think of, all right, I'm given a sword, the sword of the Spirit. We, we've heard about the enemy launching arrows. So how often do we think, are the enemies all the way over there launching arrows? But if we're given a sword, we better be ready for close combat, close quarters combat. The enemy is going to come close. Yeah, he's trying to launch some attacks from a distance, but he will, he will come close, and we have the sword of the Spirit. Just as Jesus is in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, what does Satan do? Tempting him, throwing lies. And what does Jesus do? Our, our example in this, he counters every lie with Scripture. He wields the sword of the Spirit. Satan departs from him, and Jesus is victorious where Adam failed in the garden. That is where our hope is. That's the example of defense. But offensively, we see that we are told to advance the kingdom of God. Does that sound like a defensive posture? No. Offensive in every bit of it. Advance the kingdom of God. Proclaim the good news. So uh, the word of God, what we've been given, the, the truth in Jesus Christ dying for our sins is all the hope we have. We proclaim that. We go out and proclaim that and go on offense bringing hope to the hopeless, restoration to the broken, deliverance to the captives. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we go out and wield the word and go on offense. That is what he has told us to do. That is what he has given us. We go on offense for the kingdom of God. And that's a great commission. Jake Sparknote version, but like Jesus is saying, hey, I've given you everything you need. Now go. I've given you my authority. I've given you my power. Now go on offense, take back ground from the enemy. Go advance my kingdom. Go advance my kingdom. So when you hear of us, you know, going, hitting the streets, praying for people, sharing the gospel, uh, our deliverance ministry of what the Lord's doing there is amazing, our community groups, everything we are doing, there's a reason for it, and it's offensive in nature, that we are going trying to advance the kingdom of God for his name's sake. That is our hope, that is our goal, that we honor and serve him with everything we have. And, and also, side note, when we're given armor, you better be ready to take some hits. It's just a side note. You, what sport do you put on pads and say, okay, I got my pads on, I'm not going to get hit. No, you're given pads for a reason. You've been, you're going to get hit. But you're given enough to stand for the word of God. Which leads us to our final point, point three. The one who stood first. I want us to look at something. In your Bibles, you may see just a little reference point to Isaiah 59 as you're in Ephesians 6. Turn to Isaiah 59. We're going to 
read through uh, the text. And again, we have that little Bible study technique of looking at the setting, the culture, what's happening, what hasn't happened yet in Scripture. So this is the Old Testament. We know that Jesus hasn't come on the scenes in the flesh yet, right? The Old Testament, we see right here that the people are completely lost, living their lives to themselves and what they want to pursue their own desires, and there is violence everywhere, iniquity everywhere. They are lost. But look at verse uh, 11 through 13. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, lying words of people without hope, without truth, without peace, without salvation, lost, harassed, without a shepherd, until we look at verses 15 through 17. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself pray. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. That is our king, that is our savior who is mighty in battle. Band, you can uh, come on up. We're, we're going to wrap up uh, here in a couple minutes. I want to give enough time for us to respond to the Word of God and, and have communion and fellowship with the Lord. A couple weeks back, I had my son Nico, took him to his uh, cousin RJ's ice hockey game, and he was over the moon, super excited, super happy, uh, was thrilled. About a week later, his aunt comes and brings him uh, his cousin's old hockey jersey and pads that he'd grown out of. And Nico like, comes to me, and his eyes are just so excited. He's like, I get the, he has no idea how to put this stuff on. But he's like, get it on me. I need to get it on me. I put it on, and it was like a switch that was flipped. The confidence this little guy had, he's running around the house scoring goals, ready to take some hits. He was so ready, so excited, because he knew who had worn it first. He knew, uh, he saw the week before that his cousin, who's a very good hockey player, wore it first. So church, I would say and ask you, do you know that our armor is used armor? Do we know who wore it first for our sake? Do you know that? Do we have confidence in the armor that we've been given, that he is a God not afraid to get his hands dirty, that he will leave his high position to come down below where we are stuck in our sins? What Savior is like that? There's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. Do we know what we have been given? And we haven't just been given armor. We've been given a person. We've been given everything we need to stand confidently in him, his presence. We can have hope in him forever. And one of the Lord's best purposes was sending his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Savior, left his high position in heaven and went low and put on flesh and walked through this earth sinless, spotless, went to the cross, paid our sin debt, hung there for our sake. That is our Savior. And he rose again on the third day. 
bringing salvation for all of eternity for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is our Savior. That is our, our defender, as we've sang this morning. Who is like him? Who is like him? That's Jesus. And, and we have a Savior. Just, I don't know, just wrestle with this. Is He left his high position and went low, where we were stuck in our sins, couldn't figure out anything. And he pulled us up and raised from the dead. We were now seated with him. He left his high position and went low to where we are. There no one else would go. No one else would save us. Jesus is the only one. He is our Savior. He is our King. So I'd say for you this morning, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'll just ask you the simple question of who else will stand for you? Who else will fight for you? Who else will give you eternity in his glorious presence? There's no one like him. There's no better decision you can make with your life than putting your faith and trust in Jesus. For he first went and took hits for us. May we be faithful. May he see his church standing faithfully, not abandoning our posts, but knowing that he has gone first and we will stand faithfully and take some hits for his name's sake, his kingdom's sake, and we will continue advancing the kingdom of God. May he see a faithful people. So there's an invitation set before you this morning, and the invitation is to rise with Christ. To rise with Christ. For he is the only way, the only truth and the only eternal life that you could have. No one else offers it but Jesus. We're going to, if you uh, believe in Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, we're going to take communion. We'd invite you to take communion. Uh, there are communion elements in the lobby. And I'm going to let you take communion on your own time. We have, we have time this morning to worship and commune with the Father. We're not going to rush this. We want him to move and touch hearts anywhere that we've been out of alignment and what we've been living, what we've been walking in, or, or fear that we've been worried about. What do we have to worry about? Our king is on the throne, and we are seated with him. He has gone before us. We have all of the hope we could possibly have. So we gather before him to take communion, to remember him, to remember his works, where we would be apart from the work of Jesus. So when we confess our sins during communion, it's 100% of the time usually just looking at ourselves and our own wrongdoings, our own actions. I would encourage you to confess your sins and quickly turn your eyes to Jesus, our defender, our Lord and Savior, the only one who has brought us everlasting peace, everlasting joy. There's no one like our King Jesus. I'm going to pray and you can take communion on our time. We'll finish with a Give a couple songs and benediction. Jesus, we come before you and thank you that you first stood for us. That we just, all we have to do is follow your example of put on the armor and walk confidently knowing who is with us. You haven't left us. You haven't left us unequipped. You've given us everything we need to walk boldly and confidently, standing on your word. Not wavering, not withering, standing so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and have your way this morning. You would touch hearts and minds. You would renew minds, any bit of our hearts who are troubled this morning or concerned about the road ahead of what that looks like. Lord, would you come and reveal your presence, that you are a king seated on the throne with us this morning. There's no one like you. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. Let's do your name. Praise you, Jesus.